0: If you're physically able to do so, please stand with me as we read God's Word. We're going to be looking at John chapter 5. We're going to look at the entire context of this particular passage. However, I just want to read one particular verse to you this morning as we um, uh, uh, stand and read. Because this is the focal point. This is the focal point that I want to uh, focus on. And this is verse 6. It is verse 6. It says, When Jesus saw him lying there, and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? My purpose this morning and my prayers is for those of you who have not yet placed your trust in Jesus Christ, and those of you who have Uh, Place your trust in Jesus Christ. Have a personal relationship with the Lord and who may be going through a difficult time to hear and understand one thing, that our hope is not found in a place. Our hope is not found in a thing. But our hope is found in a particular person, and that person is Jesus pray with me. Father, we are so grateful. We're grateful for your grace, your love, your mercy. Father, I ask that you would be with us this hour. Allow this word to transform hearts and minds. Father, I pray as always, use me as a vessel for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. In the famous hymn, The Solid Rock, Edward Moat penned these words, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Hope. Hope. According to the Oxford Dictionary, hope is a belief that something you want or something you wish for will happen. Again, a belief that something you want or something you wish for will happen. Hope. Have you ex- ever experienced that dichotomy of hope and hopelessness? You know, you, for some reason or another, it seems as if all hope is lost, but you still try to hold on to some type of hope. You see in John chapter 2 we see this desperate plea for Jesus to intervene at a wedding in Cana. Hope. In John chapter 4 we see this woman whose eyes were open to hope. Later in John chapter 4 we see this official who came to Jesus in desperate need for him to heal his son. Hope. Now As we travel to Jerusalem, let us place ourselves at the scene. Let us look at verse 1 of John chapter 5. It says, after this there was a feast, everybody say feast, Feast. of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there have been many scholars who debated that, uh, what particular feast this was. Was it from, uh, uh, from uh, Passover to, to the Feast of Trumpets, to the Feast of Tabernacles? Practically every major and minor Jewish uh, feast, feast has been indicated. However, listen to me very closely. When you look at the Gospels of both Mark and John, they tend to uh, arrange their book in some kind of chronological order, which gives us some indication, just some indication as to which feast John could have been speaking of. You see, in John chapter 4, as we mentioned, we encountered the Samaritan woman at the well. One scholar noted that this scene took place during the Samaritan feast of Zemuth Passah. In John chapter 6, verse 4, John mentions that the Passover was near. Now this is interesting because the only Passover, uh, the only other feast rather that falls between Zimuth Passah and the Jewish Passover is the Feast of Purim. Now why am I highlighting this? Watch this for a second. The Feast of Purim goes back to the Book of Esther chapter 9 verses 26 through 32 now this was a commemoration of the deliverance the Jews experienced in, in Persia from Haman's plot to extinguish all of the Jews you see Haman had a problem he didn't like the Jewish people in particular he didn't even like Haman, uh, uh, he didn't like uh, uh Mordecai and the thing that's interesting is that he wanted to hang him on the gallows, and, and what happened, they, they were find out Esther went to the king, and they, uh, uh, it was found out that he was doing what he was doing, and he was hung, and, uh, but uh, uh, a command was given already that, that they can destroy the Jews, but then the king wrote an edict allowing the Jews to fight back and fought back. They did. Purim. Now, what I want you to do, I just want you to store that back in the back of your uh, burner for right now. We'll come back to this later. Let's look at verse 2. It says, Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, in Aramaic called Bethesda. Some may say in Hebrew called Bethesda or whatever. It says, Which has five roofed colonnades. uh, Bethesda is two words in Hebrew, Bet and Hesed, House Mercies, House of Mercy. Now, this pool consisted of two large basins. You had the northern portion. You had the southern pool there. The upper reservoir was 53 by 40 meters for uh, the collected rainwater. And then the southern pool, it was a lower place of purification. It was 47 by 52 meters. This pool was by the sheep gate. Now, a sheep gate is mentioned in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 3 and, and chapter 12. In the day of Jesus, this small opening was on the north wall of the temple. It is said that the sheep would have been washed in this pool, if you will, before being taken through the sheep gate to, be, uh, to the sanctuary to be sacrificed. Now, the upper class, along with those who wanted to be ritually pure on the outside, would avoid this area. But not Jesus. Not Jesus. Jesus. Jesus enters into an infested, diseased, impure, invalid area. Listen to me carefully. Jesus, the Lamb of God, not needing washing, He is the cleanser. He is the cleansing agent that washes away every sin and shame. He enters. He looks. And He sees a man. As we arrive at the man, we see his condition. So what's the condition of the man? The condition of the man. John chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. It says, In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. One thing I want to note here is that some of you have a second part to verse 3 and in verse 4, in a verse 4, and some of you do not in your particular Bibles. If you do not have the verse in your passage, there is a textual note at the bottom of your Bible with the verse or in the column area. The verse that you may or may not have in your passage describes an angel stirring up the waters. Now, most scholars agree that this verse was, uh, that, that was inserted was an ancient tradition or folklore amongst the people. One scholar said healers were much sought after in the ancient world, both in Judaism and in the Greco-Roman society. Rabbinic literature speaks of Hananiah uh, Dosa, who operated as a miracle worker and faith healer in first century Galilee. In the Hellenistic world, shrines were uh, dedicated to Asclepius and other gods of healing. The oldest manuscripts that we have, this verse is not found. However, there are some manuscripts after that that places this verse inside the text. Listen to me very carefully. This does not change the validity or the veracity of the text whatsoever. Scholars believe this to be added to give clarity to why the sick and disabled were gathered by the pool, as one commentator noted, with each one hoping to be the first into the pool when it bubbled up. Can you imagine? Every time the, the, every, every time the water is seemingly stirred, chaos brew? Listen, this is the problem with our world today. And it is in its spiritual condition. As one uh, pastor noted, people helpless, sin damaged. People uh, put their faith in some superstition or religious uh, uh, tradition that cannot save. So the text describes that the folks inside of this pool area, they were invalids. They were weak, disabled from everything illness or uh, an illness or injury they were blind they could not see they were lame they they were wounded disease which affected their body or limbs they were paralyzed lost all power depended but Jesus listen to me Jesus intentionally enters into this place full of unwanted people people who needed hope people who sought hope in some stirring of the water. These were outcasts, they were unclean, folks that people did not want to deal with, they didn't want to be around. But hope arrives. I, I remember visiting Nairobi, Kenya, and uh, I went to a place called Korogolcho. Corogolcho is, is Swahili meaning crowded shoulder to shoulder. Uh, Korrigocho is one of the largest slums in uh, Kenya. There is a population of over 200,000 uh, people, listen to this, on a strip of land that is only half a mile. And I remember going there, the poverty stricken, the, the drug infested, people who are full of disease. You're walking, and, and I remember walking on this dirt path, uh, this dirt street rather, and you seeing kids my son's ages, and, and all, three, all four of the son's ages, and they're playing in a trash heap on the side of the road. Hope. Hope, where is hope? The physical condition of this man this one particular man, he has been in his condition for 38 years. 38 years, inflicted with this malady for 38 years. 38 years is a long time. Can you imagine how this affected his mental state? In a crowded area, but feeling loneliness, depressed, feeling unloved, discouraged, anger, desperate. If I can just get to the water. Everything will be all right. These thoughts continue to replay over and over and over in his head, and he he begins to develop a victim mentality, blaming others, making excuses. Can you imagine? His mental state, listen to this, his mental state infected his spiritual state. His legs were inoperable, dead even. And so was his spiritual life dead. 38 years of pain and uncertainty, hoping while yet hopeless. You see, we not only see the condition of this man, but we also see the position of the mat, the position of the mat. So get at John chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. It says, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up and while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed, take up your bed and walk. This paralyzed man resting, waiting, resting, waiting beside the water in hopes of him entering in whenever it is stirred. You know, John used a particularly in- interesting word new. This particular word or the implying of this word has been used uh, by John quite frequently in his gospel. In John one forty-two, Simon is brought to Jesus. And, and after looking at Simon, Jesus says to him, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas. In John one forty-seven, Jesus sees Nathaniel coming to him and said, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. In John 2, 24 through 25, the text says that he knew all men, for he himself knew what was in man. In John 4, 18, Jesus knew that the Samaritan woman have had five husbands, and the one that she was with then is not her husband. This particular word carries the idea of divine knowledge. John shows a supernatural knowing. Jesus engages this man and asks a question. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? Do I want to be healed? Sir, I, I'm standing here, been waiting for 38 years, waiting for some stirring of the water. Do, do I want to be healed? You're asking me, do I want to be healed? I'm here, want to be healed. I'm standing or sitting or laying, rather, here. Now, at first, this seems like a weird question that Jesus asked this man Do you want to be healed? Now, why on earth would Jesus ask such a thing of this man? Now, listen to me very carefully. Whenever Jesus asks a question, have you ever considered that Jesus already knows the answer to the question? Jesus is not trying to obtain information, if you will, as one pastor puts it. The text says he knew. Whenever Jesus asks a question, most often than not, could it be that he is trying to get the person to think and consider and examine the depth of that question as it pertains to the person's life? Listen, many times, many times people are so wrapped up in their pain, they're so wrapped up in their disappointment, their discouragement, their loneliness, their anger, that they become that which is plaguing them. Their identity is wrapped up in discouragement. Their identity is wrapped up in pain, disappointment. The thought of being healed scares them to death. Because this would cause them to be someone they do not even know anymore. Have you ever been there before? Have you ever been there before? You see, I believe that is exactly what Jesus is doing here in this passage. There are three Greek words that Jesus uses. Do you want? It has the... The the idea to to have a desire, a purpose, commitment. Now, don't let this word fool you here. This is not something that I just uh, wish for and that's it. I remember my coach telling me this. I'm not sure how many of you guys played sports in this room, but I remember my coach telling us this on the football field. Do you want to win? Do you want to win? That means if we have the desire to win, we have to be committed to win. There is action that takes place on my part. I'm going to go out there and put actions behind my desire. I am committed. Jesus asks this man, are you committed? Are you willing to take action and do something? Now listen to me. Those of you who do not have a personal relationship in this room, Look at your life right now. Look at your life and where you are at right now. How long have you been in what you are dealing with right now? How many times you had the opportunity after opportunity? I'm asking you right now, are you committed? Are you willing to take action and do something? So he says do you want and the second phrase a word of uh, the Greek is to be Genome. it literally means become be born it is the idea of being produced made created it is closely related to our word Genesis to come into being then he hits the last one healed Healed, healthy, sound, whole. This was much more than a physical healing. A lot of times we are looking for a physical healing with no spiritual effects. Jesus was speaking to this man's soul. Jesus is asking this man who is resting, listen, who is resting and waiting by the pool, are you willing to do whatever it takes to be born whole, to become whole. This man is resting, not only by the pool, but listen to this. This man is resting in his discouragement. He's resting in his anger, his disappointment. He tells Jesus that he has no one to put him into the pool when uh, the water is stirred up. And while he is trying to go, another steps down before him. Ladies and gentlemen, what are you resting in? What is the position of your mat? today? Are you resting in your loneliness, your frustration, your disappointment, your anger, your past hurts? What are you resting in? Listen, whatever your heartache, whatever your pain, whatever your disappointment, whatever your frustration, whatever you are dealing with, Jesus wants to change the position of your mat, and he wants you to rest in him. You see, at first, this man thought Jesus To be another person coming up to him. He was so wrapped up. Listen to me. He was so wrapped up in his belief. He thought finally someone can put me into the water when it is stirred. But little did he know that the son of God, the alpha and the omega, the prince of peace, the king of kings, the great I am, the healer, the restorer of life, the miracle worker, the way, the truth and the life said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. Jesus' words alone carried healing. The position of this man's mat began to change. The power of the living God began to flow through his weak legs as he obeys the word of the Lord. It reminds me of the prophet Ezekiel. When the God of Israel brought Ezekiel in the middle of the valley full of dry bones, and God asked a question, can these bones live? Then he, the God of Israel, had Ezekiel to say to the bones, to those bones, thus says the Lord God, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. And you shall know that I am the Lord. And all of a sudden, these dry bones in the valley began to rattle, Brother Tim. They began to rattle. Bone came together, bone to bone, and these bones began to develop muscle tissue. And flesh covered them, but there still was something missing. The breath of God. Life, they were still dead, but all of a sudden the God of Israel caused breath to fall on these bones and they stood to their feet and were alive. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? The water he was seeking wasn't the living water. This man was not seeking the living water. This was no angel but the Son of God. The Son of God. Hope. Hope. So, why on earth did Jesus do this? Out of all those people in that place, why heal this one? Because it was a multitude. Of people there. Why just one? Why just one? Because of the Messiah's mission. The Messiah's mission. John chapter 5. He's just going to read verses 9 through 17. And at once the man was healed. And he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn. As there was a crowd in, in the place, afterward Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may come or may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. In verse 17, it says, But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This man had been an invalid for 38 years. And the indication uh, here seems to point to this man being there the longest, And the Messiah was on a mission to bring clarity to their misconceived hope. And he did this on the Sabbath. You see, this is a problem because the religious leaders added commands apart from the written law, the Torah. They had the oral tradition. Now, in a nutshell, this was believed to be handed down from God to Moses along with the Torah, the written law. So not only was the written law given, but it was some secret knowledge, in a sense, uh, given to uh, Moses. And he passed it along and passed it along and so forth. One scholar noted this. They said that the Torah said simply that a person should not work on the Sabbath. But the Pharisees had developed, listen to this, in their oral tradition, an elaborate classification of 39 types of work that were prohibited. Such work would only be allowed in life threatening situations. Jesus was breaking the law because the man's life was not in danger. So he should have basically healed him the following day. Moreover, the man carrying his mat also constituted work, for moving things from one place to another was one of the 39 categories. But Jesus responds. He responds and shows his power. He says to them, my father is working until now and I am working. Jesus just made a profound statement. He declared his equality with God. According to Dr. Grant Osborne, a New Testament uh, scholar, he noted this. He said, the rabbis taught that only God can work on the Sabbath alluding to creation and the creative nature of God as part of his ceaseless activity in the world. If God ceases to work on the Sabbath, they asked, how does the universe keep running? But then does he himself become a Sabbath breaker? No, because, of, because as God, he is exempt, and he, in his breaking the Sabbath is necessary to keep the world functioning. With this logic, Jesus' claim to work alongside his father is tantamount to declaring that he is equal with God. And he makes this all the stronger by calling God his father. Gospel of John. John says this, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And this Word became flesh and tabernacled or dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus was on a mission. John lays it all out in in chapter 18 of verse 37. Pilate is questioning Jesus because of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They want to kill him, and the people turned on him. And Pilate says to Jesus, your own nation And the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus says to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. And so you are a king, says Pilate. Then Jesus lays out the reason why he came. He says, for this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And then Pilate says this quotable line that we remember all the time. What is truth? Pilate, he's standing right in front of you. Jesus is truth. The Pharisees didn't get it. The Sadducees didn't get it. The people didn't get it. Jesus was on a mission, and that mission was for people to encounter the truth. The Son of God came. The Son of Man came to redeem us, to seek and to save the lost. There's no hope in that water. That man was standing. There's no hope in that water. My hope is not in the government. My hope is not in any church. My hope is not in any denomination of people. All those things will fail you. The only hope that is found is in Jesus. He will never fail you. Jesus walked right into a place where The invalids, lame, blind, were hanging out, looking for healing. He came right in and and showed who was the great physician. The theme in John's gospel is faith and unbelief. The words believe or faith is used over 90 times in John's gospel. And it describes the condition of salvation. There are certain miracles that John highlights that we get to see as people today, their reaction. Do they have hope? Do, do, do they trust in him? Or is, he, or is he the source or do they reject him? In Esther, 9.22, on Purim, It is said that the Jewish people are commanded to make them days of feasting and gladness. Days for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. Listen to me very carefully. During the Feast of Purim, the Lord Jesus enters the house of mercy. And gives this poor, sick man the gift of physical health and presumably eternal life. Ladies and gentlemen, what is your condition today? Physically, mentally, spiritually, what is your condition today? Are you experiencing doubt, loss of a job, divorce, fear, depression, addiction, Are the man's legs a representation of your spiritual life? Dead. What is your hope in? What is your hope in? If you will, I want you to listen to these words by an artist named Phil Wickham. If you would just close your eyes, just just close your eyes and just think and meditate on these words. Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross has spoken. I am forgiven. The king of kings calls me his own. Beautiful savior. I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Bow your heads for me. I just want you to listen to me very carefully as your heads are bowed. This man that Jesus engaged had a choice, he did. He could have stayed right there on his mat and missed the gift that Jesus provided. Today, you have a choice. In just a moment, you're going to have an opportunity to respond. But before you do, I want you to understand one thing. That Jesus knows exactly where you're at. He knows exactly what you are going through and and he knows exactly why you are where you're at. And his love for you was shown when he came down to earth and paid a penalty that you and I deserved. The weight of our sin crushed him on that cross. I want you to think about that for a moment. He died a painful death. He was buried even defeated death when he arose from the grave. And now you have an opportunity to receive the gift of life through a sacrifice. You have a choice. You have a choice today. Maybe you have already received that gift, but you're experiencing something In your life that is unbearable, tragic, devastating, disappointing. Maybe you're angry. The altar is open for you. Jesus said, come to me all you who are weary and burdened. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light the choice is yours so after i pray brother chuck and bob will be down choose this day who you will serve father Thank you so much for the gift, the precious gift of life, through your son, the sacrifice that was paid, the life that was given on my behalf. Lord, I'm so glad that you came down and met me in 2001. You offered me this gift. You told me to stand up and walk. Father, I pray that many in this room who may not have a relationship with you will find hope in you. And those who are just going through, because life can be very, very hard. They may be believers, but life can be very, very, very hard. But we can experience your joy in it. And I pray, Father God, that they will rest in you. We love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.